Bruce Friedman of Adult Site Broker, and welcome to Adult Site Broker Talk, where each week we interview one of the movers and shakers of the adult industry, and we give you a tip on buying and selling websites. This week we'll be speaking with writer Ralph Greco. At Adult Site Broker, we're proud to announce our latest project, thewaronporn.com. You'll find articles from industry websites, as well as mainstream publications from around the world. It's designed to raise awareness of our industry's plight in the war on porn and the numerous attacks on our industry and online free speech by hate groups, the religious right, and politicians. You'll find all that and more at thewaronporn.com. You've probably noticed our new podcast site at adultsitebroker.com. It has a more modern look with easier navigation and more information on our guests, including their social media links. For more, go to adultsitebrokertalk.com. And we've doubled our affiliate payouts on ASB Cash. Now, when you refer sellers or buyers to us, you're going to receive 20% of our broker commission on any and all sales that result from that referral for life. Check out ASBCash.com for more details and to sign up. Now let's feature our property of the week that's for sale at Adult Site Broker. We're proud to offer a unique company with significant revenue and the potential for increased success. This business could be the right fit for someone looking to invest in a low-maintenance, high-reward company. It's a daily pay service designed to cater to performers who are already working on various platforms. In exchange for a percentage, they provide more convenient solutions, including daily, weekly, monthly, or on-request payouts. Advantages include a minimal time investment, rapid growth, scalability, a WhatsApp group for creators, and support for the new owner up to six months. Only $74,900. Now time for this week's interview. My guest today in Adult Site Broker Talk is writer Ralph Greco. Hey, Ralph, thanks for being back with us today on Adult Site Broker Talk. Uh, thanks for having me. It's great. It's great to hear your voice again. Ralph Greco Jr., we can't forget the junior, is a professional writer <laughs> you can, and musician. You can, you can, you can forget it. That's right. <laughs> Let's say that again. Ralph Greco Jr. There it is. Is a professional writer and musician living on the East Coast of the U.S. in Joyzy. Ralph writes for both adult businesses and mainstream, has had his fiction, poems, essays, and one-act plays produced and published in major markets, small press, and online. Ralph has had his books published from U.S. companies as well as those in England and has just released his new work, Writing Dirty Words, The Not-So-Sexy Hustle of Making a Living, Writing, and The Occasional Crack of the Whip by Parisian Phoenix Publishing. He is also the co-host, along with fellow naughty writer M. Christian, of the Licking Non-Vanilla podcast. Oh, easy for me to say. Try saying Licking Non-Vanilla three times. I can't even say it once. So, Ralph, first of all, welcome back and congratulations for being one of our few three-time losers on the podcast. Wow, look at me. There's actually one four-time loser. Wow. Um, I know, I know. She's a glutton for punishment. Uh, the title of the book is Writing Dirty Words, but then the subtitle states the not-so-sexy hustle of making a living writing and the occasional crack of the whip. That's got to be the longest title ever. So, Ralph. 
What's the book about? About 162 pages. Okay, thank you. That's all the time we <laughs> have today. Very nice talking to you. Um, it started out as a, an extension of a, a column, a writing column that I was doing for Sexpert. And I kind of got some columns together and then I expanded them and then I wrote more. And then I realized I was writing a how-to book. And then I realized it wasn't just a how-to book. It was also a memoir, which kind of, I didn't even realize it was happening. So it's kind of a hodgepodge of that kind of stuff. I would never assume to know, first of all, to know what I'm doing. Second of all, to teach anybody <laughs> in any kind of way. But Christian and I, and Christian, who you mentioned, uh, my co-host, we've conducted a couple writing classes at kink conventions. And uh, I love doing them. And I guess I done this long enough to have some fun anecdotes and some advice and then a lot of what i hope is championing the creative spirit for want of a better word yeah absolutely you know you got to encourage younger people coming in to do what you do to carry the torch right yeah well i i have this small little like you know we all have a little like little crusade we i guess we we try to go on or, or lead and my my kernel of that always is that I think everybody is creative and I don't hold writing or playing an instrument any higher pursuit than anything else. I think we're all equal in what we pursue just as long as it's something we love to do. Right. So I'm championing the book champions, the idea that if you, you have something you like to do, do it. Absolutely. And you know, that's one of the reasons, not the only reason, but that's one of the reasons I started doing this podcast because as you know, I used to be a sports announcer, never of any note, but I was a sports announcer and I missed the creative outlet of talking to people. Mainly the interviewing is what I really love and reading copy and doing those other things is pretty good, too. And this podcast gives me that opportunity and what it's turned into now is a really good promotional vehicle for adult site broker. As an aside, although, of course, I kind of had that in mind, it's taken a little while to build up to the point where we're getting over a thousand listeners a podcast. But now we're doing it and it's taken a while. Keep in mind, it's very niche. It's B2B. It's adult. But now we're at the point where it's pretty darn good. In fact, we may actually start accepting advertisers. Why the hell not? I've been asked about it, so I've got to make that decision. So you were telling me off air that the publisher, Parisian Phoenix Publishing, was instrumental in you coming to realize what this book really should be about. Why don't you elaborate on that? Well, I wrote the book and uh, I talked to uh, Angel Ackerman, who is the uh, CEO and co-founder of Parisian. And she's put out a whole bunch of different books, never put out any kind of erotica at all or anything even tickling that field. In fact, I have books with her with my partner, artist, illustrator. I, we have children's books with her. But anyway, what happened was when I wrote the book, she read the book and she wanted it. She said, you know, this feels very much like a memoir as well as a writing advice. So at the end of the book, she said, you know, I think what you should do is you should have a footnote section because you reference a lot of things authors and books and a whole bunch of stuff. And I did. And then once I put the footnote section, in, the rest of the whole, the whole book is very conversational, but I was talking about the things that influenced me. And in doing so, it really opened up as more of a memoir, in fact. So that's how kind of how that became that. Interesting. Well, and I know you, you're a very humble guy. You're not the type of guy that would sit there and go, I'm going to write a memoir. 
So I found it kind of interesting that it became that. You and me both. <laughs> you know, it's funny. You start out with something. It's one of the points in the book, actually. You know, you start out with something and it can morph into something else. But what I didn't realize when I was writing, when I was writing the book, was a book about my life, which is my life is centered around my writing career. But that's not the only thing about my life. And I realized that, oh, this book reads like on a couple of different levels, which I'm thrilled about. I'm, I'm very happy that that, that happened, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I can't wait to read it. I still need to download it from Amazon. So I know you've done readings before of your work. Are you looking to do the same with the new book? I'd like to. Angel and I were talking today about that. I'm putting some, a couple of readings together. I, what I, eventually what I'd like to do is morph this back into my uh, salacious songs and dirty words theater piece. You know, eventually, I guess what I really want to do is become Mark Twain and just lecture for the rest of my life. But uh, I don't have the, the wit or the stamina for something like that. But anyway, we can't all be Mark Twain. That's true. But we can damn well try. But anyway, the long answer to when I do readings about it, I would love to. I would love to do that. Fantastic. Well, maybe at uh, an Exotica. Yeah, you know, I, I reached out to them to to see about selling the book to get a table there, but it's the price is just a little too pejorative for me at this moment. So work with somebody else and use part of their space. I guess I could, I, I, but I'll definitely be an exotic in New Jersey in November. If I get press, I'll probably go in again and see all my friends, you know, that are always there and uh, maybe give the book around a little bit. A lot of people I work with do do exotica because it's in the area. Yeah, of course. It's a home game. So how about a few of the more interesting, entertaining, or kinkier stories in the book? Maybe you can share one or two for me. The one I always go to first is the one that got me into this, really. This is back in the, before you were born, Bruce, is back in the 80s. <laughs> I wish. Yeah, yeah, me too. I was in my early 20s, and a friend of mine, a girl I knew relatively well, she said, look, I got an opportunity to go to this guy's house and do some recordings for him. This was that the back of the day when you could call up 800 or a 900 number and hear some dirty stories over the phone. Talk to a live girl. Uh, yeah, but that wasn't live. Which, quite frankly, is better than talking to a dead one. I think. Dead girl, right. But it, but this was pre-recorded stories. You'd call in. Anyway, she said, look, I don't know if this guy's on the up and up. Will you go with me? So I said, sure, I'll go with you. So one Saturday night, we go a couple towns over and meet this really sweet young couple. And we basically, she voiced a couple like, you know, principal brings the student down to his office kind of stories, you know, and we, we slapped our legs to make it sound like somebody was being spanked. And it was, it was a hoot of a night and he paid her. And then later on, I said to him, just as I was leaving, Hey, cause he had these little scripts he was reading from. And I said, do you ever need anybody who writes these things? I never, I never wrote any erotica in my life because yeah, to tell you the truth, I'm not a writer. So that he had me do that. And that was the first time I was ever paid for anything in that nature, anything erotic, erotic in any kind of way. I had always been a writer, but I never wrote that kind of stuff. So that's how it all started. That, so that, there's one anecdote. Okay. Well, give me another and make it kinky. Uh, I can't even. Well, I could, I could just tell you what's interesting is that, I, and this is in the book too, Chris and I, again, we, we, were, we did a couple of uh, kink conventions in Vegas, and that's where we would do a couple different classes. We would do spanking 101. We would do tit torture, you know, that kind of stuff. And the, the, one of the things was the writing class. And I really, it really jazzed us both. We really loved it. And it was great because 
we hardly had to do any speaking. People just asked your questions for an hour and a half. It was really fun. And at the end of, we're, we're standing outside the hotel and this girl comes up with a couple other people and she was just ebullient with her phrase about us and how wonderful it was and, and how much she learned. And I, I was just really taken aback because when you do something, you know this, when you do something you feel you do well, you don't ever think about it, how well you do it until somebody else tells you that, right? You're just doing the thing. So she was so wonderful. And she said, can I give you a hug? And I said, yeah, sure. She said, give me a hug. And I was really, really touched because I was like, wow, there's somebody that I connected with about the writing and, and I made a difference. And that, that was the, one of those first times. And a few, it's only happened a few times where somebody was, you know, and it was really, it was a wonderful uh, situation. So in the book, I related to those, those situations where I always say, always be nice, no matter what, always be nice, you know? So that's an anecdote, which is connected to a, a kink convention. So there's your kink for you. Yeah, but nothing kinky? Not really. It's funny, you know, Chris and I talk about this. We go to those conventions, and the uh, last time we were in a convention, it was a Friday night, and we walk through the, the main ballroom where, you know, all the stuff is happening, and we get back to the room, and Chris goes, you're not going to believe what time it is. Now, we're in Vegas on a Friday night at a kink convention. We're ready to go to sleep. He's like, it's 930. I'm like, wow, I can't believe how wild we are. And we go to sleep at 930. So we are totally atypical, you know, when it comes to that kind of stuff. I thought you were going to say in the morning. I wish it was. No, it was 930 at night. We were literally sitting there with, with a Coke each and trail mix and watching TV and getting ready to go to bed. You sound like me. I'm done early, man. I'm 65, brother. Oh, I'm 61. I'm in the same place you are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you are a babe in arms. So. I know you've published a lot of short story collections. Is this your first attempt at a full book of nonfiction? Uh, no, uh, I actually have a, a nonfiction book called uh, Dating While Intoxicated that was published by uh, E-Renaissance eBooks, which is Jeebury Stein's publishing arm. Jeebury is the first person that actually ever published my erotica. I met Jeebury when I met you in San Francisco. So that's my first foray into a full collection of nonfiction. This is my second, but this is my first writing book. By the way, I mentioned earlier, I'd like to download your book. I went to Amazon and I didn't see a Kindle version. Is one going to be coming out? I think so. Yeah. If not coming out, it should be out by now. Okay. You got to let me know. I definitely was going to buy it. Hey man, be be a customer, you know? So how did you come to find the publisher you're working with now? Oh, okay. My illustrator in the children's books, he works at a college in Pennsylvania. We got those books into the college bookstore. The guy that runs the college bookstore is the ex-husband of the publisher of Parisian Phoenix. And then she wanted some of the children's books and we published a couple of the children's books in hardcover with her. We already published them by ourselves. And then we, her and I talked about this. I said, look, would you be interested in my writing book? We talked about it. And I, and I know how she works. And I appreciate her, her vision and her uh, tenacity and her editing skills. And I said, well, this is, this is a perfect marriage. In fact, I just, I look at the book right now because I just picked up my copies today from her. She got them in the mail. So just picked them up. And it just, it looks great. It really does. Does it have a, a big picture of your mug on the front? No, my picture's nowhere on the book. Uh, I, you know, that's too much for the women of the world to handle. Yeah, they'd be knocking on your door. 
Eventually, you'd have to let them out. Well, yeah, you keep it in a little, uh, what's that, round sub-cellar in the basement, you know. Exactly. So you also write children's books, which you've mentioned, as well as erotica. Do you ever find going between these extremes difficult? No, but it can get difficult for other people because I don't use a nom de plume. We got in trouble once we sent out a electronic press kit of our stuff to a teacher. And then she, for some reason, she did a deeper dive and found out what else I wrote. And uh, she didn't want to work with us. But generally speaking, no one does that deeper dive. Or generally speaking, people in our profession know that you could do all kinds of stuff. And we're, we're mature enough to know when the twain should not meet. So I don't see why an adult can't write all kinds of different stuff. No. And well, look, we know all about the bias against our industry and people think pornographers are evil and trying to groom children and trafficking and blah, 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 blah. So God forbid someone like that would write a children's book. Oh, my goodness. Just terrible. We were funny. You said before in the intro about the junior, I used the Ralph Greco just for the music and the junior for the writing. That's the only difference. But I don't hide any other way. I just, it is what it is, I figure. And uh, that's your problem, not yours. But I'm saying that's that person's perceptions and problems more than it's mine. I'm just trying to work and make a living. There's a lot of people with a lot of problems when it comes to that. And we know now our industry is under just such incredible attack. In fact, I don't know if I told you but recently I launched something called the war on porn.com. And what it is, is articles about the politicians and the religious right and everyone who's coming after us. And I figured it would be good to have it all in one place so people could look at it and say, wow, this stuff's just ridiculous. I agree. I mean, I work for a pretty big strip club in the, in, in New York city called Rick's gentleman's cabaret. And uh, they're under fire constantly. I mean, they thrive, they do very well, but, you know, it's one of those things where women are being exploited, the whole, you know, the thing you hear all the time. And, and it's, you, you couldn't find a classier place, you know. I've been there, it's a well-run place. They're, you know, the main companies on, on the NASDAQ, I mean, they're a well-established company. They're not fooling around, but, but you know how it is. People get a bad reputation. They like to land us with that stuff. And we're, we're like, uh, some of the most normal people I know work in adults. Oh, exactly. I think it, we're the normal ones there, the odd ones. Yeah, the women are exploited. Oh, yes, they're treated so horribly. Now, it's it's like the women on OnlyFans are being exploited and some are making over a million dollars a month. Oh, yeah, that's real exploitation, huh? They're exploiting themselves all the way to the bank, you know, but I mean, it's the same way. I have a I have a bunch of single story ebooks that were published just recently by a company called uh, Andrews Limited. They have an arm of the other that they do a whole bunch of different things. One is House of Erotica, but they also put out children's books and they put out cookbooks and they put, you know, it's a huge company. And I'm like, they're all over the place. Why can't they be that way? So I, I, don't, I just don't understand why people just would know that people like us, especially people in the adult, are very careful of what we do and where we do it. We pay more attention to that than even most people do because we have to. Oh, you're right. Although I've kind of gotten to the point where I don't give a shit. Facebook kicks me to the curb. Okay, fuck you. And fuck Zuck, by the way. I thought I'd mention that. LinkedIn kicks me to the curb. I lose my 3,000 plus contacts. I put a new account in. Now I've only got like 400. It's like, 
okay, well, who loses? LinkedIn loses because I hardly spend any time there because it's not worth my time. I was going to advertise there. I'm not going to advertise there now. I was thinking of advertising on Facebook again. Am I going to advertise on Facebook? No. So who loses? Really, who loses? And now Facebook's got threads, which is supposed to be a Twitter alternative. Yeah, I heard about that. I doubt very much if they're going to open it up to adult. I don't know. I don't know his philosophy over there. I've heard so many different things or read so many different things. But again, I'm not a social media guy. So for me, it's all a bunch of noise. And it just sounds like children yapping. It is. We spoke about one of those children offline. But I digress. That one we definitely agree on. Oh, absolutely. It's funny because we didn't even know we were we didn't even know we both felt that way about this person. And you said it and I said and then I was like, oh, wait a minute. I know. I know that person. You know, Yeah, I could I could give a shit if he's your best buddy. He's still a piece of shit. Yeah, he's kind of a jerk. (laughs) (laughs) Are you listening out there? Do you know who we're talking about? (laughs) A lot of people who know me will know who I'm talking about. So, Ralph, can you give us some quick writing advice? Just a few tips. Yeah, sure. First and foremost, I get, I get this all the time. I get, and this is the first chapter of the book. People come up to me and say, how do I start writing? How do I do it? I say, it's going to sound simple and stupid, but you just do it. And there's no other way. You just got to do it. Now, whether it's pad and pencil, whether it's, you know, speaking into your phone, whether it's, you know, on your laptop, you just have to start doing it. So I always tell people that that's of primary importance and, and get it out of yourself. Don't worry about what it is. Don't worry about the form of it, what it may be, what it might not be. Just get it out and worry about finding what it is later. Just get it out first, puke it out of yourself, and then worry about that later. So that's my primary, most important, I think, writing advice. The other thing I have to say, too, there's that line between what is erotica and what is porn. So it's like, you know, you say tomato, I say shut the fuck up about tomatoes. Who gives a shit if it's erotic or porn? And I don't even know if there is a definition. And I don't care if there's a definition. Just Again, don't let that stop you from writing. Just get it out of you, man. And if later on it comes out and you're like, well, this is more pornography than erotica. Well, who gives a shit? Just do it. You know, like it doesn't matter what it is. And that's what I try to impress upon. So there's a big debate always about, especially in America, about pornography. You know, what it is, what it is, you know. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. So that's my two big pieces of advice right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I find when I'm writing something and I liken myself as a writer, you've seen some of my articles on why not, I think. And what it comes down to is you're right. Start writing and then edit, 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 edit. And that's what I do. I sit down at my keyboard on the computer, on my laptop, on, on my MacBook Pro, and I just start writing. But I think if someone would rather speak, there's some great transcription programs now, especially with AI, that will take what you said and put it on paper for you. So the tools are great. There's just so many tools available. You've got to be careful. And I'll tell you why. You brought that up, that day, uh, transcri- transcription. I used that on Google Docs once. I never used it before. I use it for interviews, like when I interview somebody. I could put, you know, put the phone right there and it it takes it verbatim. But what I found was when I was using it, it became too much confessional to me. I just started talking a story, talking my feelings, talking an idea, and it became very confessional. And if there's any kind of writing that I particularly abhor is that kind of writing. 
Just that's just my own personal thing. So I think all these tools are great, but they need to be used judiciously, you know, and we have to be very careful because they can also atrophy our uh, skills. And so um, I do agree with you. All this stuff is great. You just have to be careful with it. Yeah, that leads really well into my next question. We've heard a lot about AI infiltrating the writing business. And as we know, it's even caused the writer strike in Hollywood, which is really pissing me off because I can't see Bill Maher or John Oliver now. Plus, I had just paid HBO for a year thinking I was saving money. <sighs> so what are your thoughts about the future of what you do maybe being taken over by computers? I'm not so worried about it. I think what's going to happen is like anything else, you know, it'll rise up. People get crazy. They're going to have all these opinions, all this shit, and then it'll shake. The snow globe will shake and we'll settle down. It happens almost every time we have a new technology. People are saying this is unusual, though. It's like Skynet's going to take over. Schwarzenegger will come with this Terminator, you know, all that shit. But I think that, generally speaking, it's not going to get to that point. And secondly, and I hate to say this because you were just saying something before about you don't give a shit. I really don't give a shit. I'm going to do what I do no matter what. And if you don't like it, you don't like it. If you think an AI program does it better, all the more power to you. You're never going to be able to replace me speaking in public or me playing in public. You can't, you won't ever replace it. So I, like you just said before, I just don't give a shit. I'm also an older person, so I don't think I even know enough to give a shit. I'm like, <laughs> ignorance is bliss, you know? And, uh, it's, and, and the ignorance is bliss state is one I'm usually at anyway. But you know, so it's just it's just kind of goofy. Yeah. You know, I I don't know about you, but I get medium and I get the daily newsletter from them and every single day, multiple articles on new AI tools. This is going to take over chat GPT, blah, blah, blah. I'm desensitized now. I occasionally look at one of the articles, but I'm at the point now where I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever. Okay. I mean, I've done a little bit with ChatGPT and some of the similar tools, but frankly, I'm still not completely comfortable with it. Maybe because I am old, who knows? And I, I do plan to use it more, but quite frankly, I just, I don't know. I'm waiting for it to shake out. I'm waiting for them to say, okay, these are the tools that are going to be the best ones for this, this, and this. And I don't want AI to do a website for me. I got a guy who does great websites. And I can't talk to AI like I talk to him. I've heard that said, too. That That's a very interesting, salient point. People say, you know, it's all well and good, but but I can't have a conversation or I can't meet him at the, the Starbucks and say, look, I want this and this and this or or whatever it happens to be. So I agree with you. There was a Discord site that was programming AI to make cam models. And the cam girls themselves were saying, you could do all that all you want, but they're never going to have what we have, you know. Well, though, never is a very long time. It is. But I think that at the end of the day, I think it's going to shake out the way it shakes out. First of all, nothing they can do about it. Second of all, it's going to shake out the way it does. And third of all, I again, what you just said before, I don't give a shit. I hate to say it that way, but I really don't give a shit. Yeah. The only unfortunate part is it is going to displace a lot of people in the world. And I think about what Andrew Yang has said in his books about lobbying for a, a basic income in the United States. And I think that that's something that at some point is going to be necessary or you're going to have all kinds of people on the street homeless. <laughs> yeah. Have you been here lately? Uh, yeah, not Jersey, but um, yeah, I, I've been in LA. Basically COVID turned it into a third world country. 
And uh, that, that's where we're at. And I'm not political at all. Hey, we both live in third world countries. There you go. Oh, look at us. But noodles are cheap here. I heard that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now that you've written an entire nonfiction book, are you going to do another? Uh, if I have something to say, I don't know. I, I wrote a lot of blogs and essays for other people. I don't, I don't ever write those things for myself. Opinions. Occasionally I do. I have a, one of my sites is uh, FU. I'm from Jersey, you know, so it's a site about that. So, so I kind of blog on that and most of my stuff is satirical and, and, uh, and nature. So if I do another nonfiction book, it would be a collection of probably essays, but I don't really have anything planned at the moment in the nonfiction area. Okay. What's easier for you to write fiction or nonfiction and why? I, you know, both come to me pretty easily. It just kind of depends on what's kind of juicing me that day. You know, I, I don't, I don't sit around waiting for a muse. I just kind of write like we we're saying before, what do you, how do you start writing? You start writing, right? My friend, my friend Bob says all the time, writers write. So that's what I do. So I write and then I, it comes out of me and then that's what happens. And then if it happens to go in that direction or that direction, I don't really know. And, and usually I have three or four things I'm working at the same time. So, and that's not because I'm so talented. It's just because I'm so bored that I go from one thing to another because I just, I don't have the kind of, I, I look at this piece of writing, I'm like, what a piece of crap this is. Let's go to something else, you know? Um, so I don't, I don't think either one is easier or harder to write. And I'm not like, I get up tomorrow morning and start writing. I have no idea what I'm going to do. I have a couple of things on the docket, but who knows where it's going to go. You're very self-critical. No, I, I'm humble. You know, I, I, I really, I don't No, just seriously. I, I don't think what I do is, is anything special. It's just that I happen to have a skill. Other people have other skills. I mean, there's a handful of things. If your hand happens to have three fingers that I know well and do other than that, man, I know nothing about anything. Tell me about it. <laughs> and what happens, Bruce, the older you get, the more you realize the less I know. Ah, that's kind of the way life goes. The less we know, the older we get. Absolutely. So do you have a favorite kind of writing, something you find yourself doing when you don't have a particular gig? Well, the, my most favorite thing to do is write songs. That's my favorite. I like satire a lot. So what I like to do is if I can blend satire with speculative fiction with erotica, which I do sometimes, I'm fueling all the jets at that point, you know? Guys like Swift and Sheckley and Vonnegut. Bradbury's my favorite, but he's not a satirist. So I'd say that's kind of my favorite. But my most favorite thing to do, the thing that is closest to who I am, I would say is uh, songwriting and playwriting. Those are the two that are closest. Hmm. Any more plays in the works? Oh, yeah. Tons of plays. Tons of plays. Send them out all the time. Yeah. Have a lot of plays, a lot of one acts. Um, that's all I write is one acts. Um, nothing's been produced lately because there was a lot of shutdown with COVID. You know, live theater just shut down. So the theaters that I would send to a lot of community theaters and uh, regional houses across the country have just started to get back up. So they're taking stuff. So I'm sending stuff out all the time. I've heard the term one act, but I'm not even really sure what it is. I'm assuming it's just one act of a play. How long is it normally? Give me an idea. It's been my experience that one acts are usually between 15 and 20 minutes, but they can be three hours. I've seen three hour plays that were one act. It usually takes the form of one setting. The difference, though, the hard thing about a one act is that I've seen plenty of these that are just sketches. They're wonderful, but they're sketches. And what's a sketch? Well, like it's something you see on Saturday Night Live. Oh, right, 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 right. Sure, sure. Really funny, urbane, fantastic, but it, it, there's no progression of character. And it's hard to do because sometimes I'm writing a one act that I'm thinking, this is just a sketch. <laughs> you know? So I've done that myself. 
but I, I enjoy the one act form. Well, sketches are fun. They'd be fun live. They're great. They're great. And some of that stuff is fantastic writing. Oh, it is. I mean, God, the SNL writers are amazing. Yeah. You know, any honeymooner sketches, you know, like any of that stuff. But I think of the old SNL skits, you know, Hamburger, Hamburger. Although that was more of a series because, you know, they had them on, on a regular basis. But how about all the canceling, the banning and all the back and forth over censorship? Now, being an erotic writer, that's really got to scare you. You know, it's funny. I, I find we get it less. It's the stuff that you never expect. Like Roald Dahl, who wrote Willy Wonka, just gotten some stuff recently canceled or changed his language change in his books because you know, they're using presentism it was a way to censor as opposed to letting the thing be what it was at the other time and doesn't it's not even worth talking about. But I don't come up against censorship because people already know I'm writing dirty words. If you look at the book. You know what's going to be to have dirty words in it. So you're going to buy it or you're not going to buy it. But it's these other insidious ways that they censor or cancel or whatever that because somebody has an opinion that's different than yours. Or they did something that's unacceptable to society. So their work gets canceled. Well, you and I both know you don't get through life without nuance. And then, then it becomes righteous indignation. And and everybody has to jump on that bandwagon. I just saw Kevin Spacey was found not guilty, but his reputation is now ruined. You know, it's any of those things that happen. So I always take a step back for any of this stuff and kind of try to be a reason. The problem is nowadays, as you know, you can't ask a question. You ask a question about something. People automatically put you in a box. Say, okay, well, then you're against that or you're for that. I'm like, no, I'm just asking a question. Social media, for me, it's necessary, but it's evil. Oh, it's completely evil. It's, it's worse than COVID. It's the biggest pandemic we've ever been under, and it's absolutely destroyed culture. Absolutely. Then I don't want to sound like a couple of old guys, but look at the young generation now. Yeah, absolutely. They don't even realize what that their sensibilities have been so perverted. They don't even realize it. You've got a generation that's largely useless. I shudder to think the days that they're in charge, though. Oh, my God. If you thought Trump was bad, oof. Well, you know, the problem with, with this stuff that the way it is, it's just, it's just, you can't make a step anymore. Everybody has a voice and everybody thinks their voice needs to be heard. And, and nobody's really listening to any, that's the thing too. Nobody's listening to anybody. No, there's no reason discourse. So most of this stuff I, I sit back bemused about because I'm like, I don't even know where to start uh, on the hypocrisy of this, you know? And I do feel like the old guy, like get your bikes off my lawn kind of guy. But then again, I, I'm so cynical at times. I just, I go, I, I just don't give a shit. And I don't want to be that way, but it's true. I don't either, but it'll make you crazy otherwise. That's why I basically checked out of mainstream news. I scan Washington Post just to see what's going on in the world and sometimes CNN online. But I don't watch any uh, news programs anymore because they're just all propaganda on both sides. It's all biased. That's the one thing I loved about the most about Trump. And, and I say this all the time, uh, him being the most significant president we've ever had. And people go crazy when I say that. But I'm not saying significant is positive. I'm saying significant. But what he did do is he called out the fourth estate. And for me, it was a long time in coming. And I'm glad he did. Yeah, but the way he did was ingenuous. The thing about him is always the way he delivers the message. But calling out the fourth estate the way he did was wonderful as far as I was concerned. But what good did it do? None. If anything, it just made us really leery. It made it worse because nobody changed the way they acted. You didn't see mainstream media change. 
it never was going to happen. I just, I think what, what happened is it called out the hypocrisy to a level now that it's an absurd circus. And we just realize now everything is up for grabs and nothing can be trusted, which is people like you and I knew anyway. Yeah, if he gets elected again, I'm giving up my passport. So you're also a working musician. What's happening on that front for you right now? Recording, recording, recording. Hmm. Recording what? Whole bunch of different songs. I have I have a whole bunch of different projects that I'm involved in. I write acoustic music. I write instrumental. I write rock. I write children's music. But I have so much stuff that I need to record that I go out. A buddy of mine, the guy who produces the podcast, actually, um, I go out to his studio and, and we record out there. Or I record at my home. So that's what's happening with the music. I'm writing more songs, as always, trying to get down some projects at the moment and uh, and just always playing guitar. So do you get out and perform at all? Rarely. I do, but rare. But I have a plan to do something. I want to put a show together, but it's going to take more of an idea of a theater piece with music. That's coming up. I'll get that together sooner or later. Well, I'm sure I know who provides the music for your theater pieces. Yeah, yeah. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) One-stop shop. So just like me, and we mentioned this before, you have your own podcast, and I will say it right this time, Licking Non-Vanilla, that you co-host with M. Christian. What's the latest with your podcast? We just uh, taped the 50th episode. Well, congratulations. Yeah, thank you very much. And we're just growing. You know, like you were just saying about this thing that you do here with the podcast. You just keep at it, put the shows up. You try to get as much of a reach as possible across the world. You have some interesting people on. You know, unfortunately, that's not what that didn't happen with you tonight. You didn't have anybody interesting on. Oh, please. But we try to get some guests on where we do video and audio because we'll be trying to get the talent on the, the women on. It's nice to see them. People like to see them. So we're just growing the podcast best we can. That's what we're doing in that regard. Okay. So what's coming up in the near future for you besides everything? (laughs) Yeah. Like I said, I just picked up the book today. So I'm going to be working the book as far as publicity and readings and hopefully things we were talking about, recording more music. I also have a mainstream job working for a, a university, writing, 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 and just looking for more work. As a freelancer, that's what you do. You look for work all the time. So any problems with what you do in the university? Ironically, the person that got me into the university is the person that I was in business with when you first met me back in uh, San Francisco. So she's a mainstream editor and writer. She got into the university full time. She said, hey, we need some writing. We've been friends for a, like a long time. I've never talked to anybody. They're just, they just send me things electronically. That's, that's how we do it. Well, we talked about canceling. I was just afraid that might happen. No, nobody even asked that about that aspect of my life. It's a good thing. I won't tell him. Well, Ralph, I'd like to thank you for being back again today on Adult Night Broker Talk. And I look forward to part four soon. Yeah. And we're going to get you on our show for sure, too. Great. My broker tip today is part three of how to buy a site. Last week, we talked about finding the right site to buy. Once you find it, what do you do? Once you've either reached the broker of the site or the seller, review the information about it. The broker should provide you with the following. A profit and loss statement of at least three years that's up to date. If it's June and they give you financials only through the end of the previous year, you need to see what the site is doing now, not last year. If it's a pay site, get a username and password for the site so that you can review the content. Ask how often the site is updated. Get some history on the site. 
how long has it been in business, the story behind the site, and why the seller wants to sell. Get an inventory of the content and how much of it has current technologies. Find out if all the content is exclusive to that site. Ask the seller if the content has ever been on VOD or DVD. See if there are any clip stores the content is on. Find out how much the content costs to produce and what the current cost of production is. Very importantly, see if this operation can run without the owner. Do they do the shooting themselves or do they hire someone to do it? And if there's an outside producer, will that person continue to provide content for the site? Find out how many new joins and rebuilds there are a day. Ask them what's the retention rate on the site. And find out if they do advertising on the site and where they get their traffic. Ask for Google Analytics access so you can see where the traffic comes from. This information will give you the opportunity to truly evaluate what it is you're buying. Then if everything looks good to you and you want the site, it's time to make an offer. Only you can decide what the site is worth to you. If you're working with a broker, say, oh, I don't know, adult site broker, of course your broker can help you determine the value of the site. We'll talk about this subject more next week. And next week we'll be speaking with Alex Luchinski of Delavit. And that's it for this week's Adult Site Broker Talk. I'd once again like to thank my guest, Ralph Greco. Talk to you again next week on Adult Site Broker Talk. I'm Bruce Friedman.